In the early 1980s, there were whispers of a new disease. No one had heard of it before. Was it a mysterious plague or a strange kind of pneumonia? It's mysterious, it's deadly, and it's baffling medical science. Almost all its victims were homosexual males who frequently changed sexual partners. My name is Trevor Green. I was born in the mid-1980s, and so I wasn't part of the AIDS epidemic that doomed so many gay men. Scientists at the National Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta today released the results of a study which shows that the lifestyle of some male homosexuals has triggered an epidemic of a rare form of cancer. That's an NBC News clip from 1982 with anchor Tom Brokaw. As we just heard, the disease wasn't called AIDS. It was known as the gay plague or gay cancer. To get a sense of the fear and anxiety of the time, I decided to speak to the men who lived through that period. Okay, it's James Dubrow, and uh, I'm a crime writer and a longtime person who lived in the gay village for in Toronto here since 1970. I remember it very well because I was totally obsessed with it. You know, uh, they first surfaced the whole thing in the New York Times as a gay cancer, that various people were dying of a gay cancer, which basically was grid. Uh, they had various names for it for a long time. They didn't know what it was. Uh, there was no way of knowing whether you had it. There's no way of knowing whether you're going to get through it all. After a while, the disease became known as GRID, or gay-related immune deficiency. The sense of people being um, swimming in uh, uncertainty. People were nervous. People were scared. People knew. We all knew people who were starting to get sick. That's David Hallman. He's 69 years old. He lived in Toronto in the 1980s. Nobody knew what was causing it. Nobody knew how it was being transmitted. And then people started dying in our own community, at, uh, including people that we knew. It can't be too uh, dramatic about it because it was just so awful. And those of us who didn't get it were quite lucky, but we just all assumed we had it. It's terrible. I always had this overwhelming feeling of despair that it was just a question of time before I'm going to be diagnosed and then I'll be gone within a year. Uh, the symptoms, the symptoms, we're always looking at symptoms. The condition severely weakens the body's ability to fight disease. Many victims get a rare form of cancer called Kaposi's sarcoma. Others get there were many kinds of symptoms. It seemed like a cluster of diseases. People were getting lesions on their body. They were going blind. They had no immune system. In response to the health crisis, the gay community became more political. Yeah, the, uh, it's definitely galvanized the gay community. Um, I remember one of the first public meetings. Uh, it was around 1982, and it was in Jarvis Collegiate. And I remember in the, the uh, auditorium was packed. Every gay man in the city was there because the news reports had been coming initially from the New York Times and then uh, uh, in Canada as well and in Toronto about this, what was just previously being still referred to as a gay plague. There was just this nervousness, this really uh, deep-seated nervousness. And as gay men started getting sick and dying, David took care of people, his friends, his loved ones. He also joined part of the activist organizations. I mean, obviously, there were, there, were, there were various gay activists who got involved in starting, 
various committees and um, trying to raise the consciousness of people about it. And of course, a lot of it was because it was through sex. People uh, thought, well, uh, maybe they should just stop having sex, which is what a lot of us did. You know, a lot of us became celibate during most of the 80s um, until the test came along and one could, and one knew it was a virus and there were certain things you could do, uh, like use a condom. Many gay men were unprepared to accept a new reality in which you had to limit your number of sexual partners. For many people, gay liberation meant sexual freedom, and now they were being told to cut back and in some cases to abstain from sex altogether. People didn't know how to protect themselves. There was, then there was the whole debate about how it was transmitted, the sense of, well, should we just, if it is sexually transmitted, everybody just abstained from sex, and that wasn't going to happen. I kept a journal starting around 83 or 4 about uh, my various symptoms, which went on till 89, so until I said I had the first AIDS test and it came up that I, negative at any rate, uh, and that that's and then I had that test every year for three years to make sure. And occasionally I would slip and go to a steam bath after a party, and then I would think, "Oh my God, I've exposed myself again." Any rate, um, so until that came around, I just assumed I was going to go, and that I would be one of the un- many unlucky ones. Eventually, in the mid 1980s, the virus was identified, and a test was developed which could determine whether or not you were positive. Early, fairly early on in the 1980s, um, once it was identified that there was a virus and blood tests would detect it, um, it became just standard that we all started getting tested on, on a regular basis. And uh, for years, the tests always came back negative. That was fine. Uh, that was expected. Uh, that was certainly hoped for. Um, and... It worked out okay until in 1993. Um, I had applied for health insurance, and it got denied. And we got this letter saying that uh, the reasons for the denial of the health insurance coverage uh, were being communicated to my family doctor. And I went to my doctor, and he told me that uh, the testing that they had done for the health insurance um, with blood testing came back that I was HIV positive and and very what he described as a high progressor my viral load was very high um, and this was like just uh, unbelievable uh, even though we'd been living with this for almost a decade by that point with uh, in the community uh, I hadn't anticipated that I would become one of those statistics uh, I didn't want to tell Bill. Bill Conklin was David's partner. They met in the early 1970s. I knew that he would be primarily upset out of concern for me um, that I might die a horrible death, as many of our friends were. Um, So I hesitated, and we went to Monday Thursday service. I remember that that year at uh, St. Thomas's, as we usually did, and it was just the most... um, gripping uh, Monday, Thursday, because all of this was going through my head. By Easter Sunday, two days later, after we had finished our dinner, I, I knew that I could not keep this secret. I could not protect him from this news. And so I told him, I said, I've got something to tell you. And I told him, and I remember 
this cry. There was this couple moments of silence and then this cry that came out of his soul, out of his gut. It was just an agonizing sound. And we both started crying and holding each other. And um, it was it was very, very, very rough. Um, I was back at work. Monday was a holiday. I was back at work on the Tuesday. And halfway through the day, my secretary came in and said, there's a delivery here for you. And she brought it in, and it was a big, long, rectangular box. And in it, when I opened it, were a dozen red roses. Um, and a note uh, from him uh, saying, I will always love you. Um, and I saved some of those roses, and I still, I'm looking at them now in the uh, rose petals, dried rose petals, and and the note that came with them in a, in a glass container in my display cabinet. Um, and then we just rebuilt our lives based on the new reality. David has been one of the lucky ones. He's almost 70 years old and has lived with HIV for a quarter of a century. As we have heard, the epidemic was a time of dread. But it also showed how a community could come together in a time of crisis. Uh, the advice I'd give to someone who has recently uh, tested positive um, would be multifold. Uh, one is it's not the end of the world. Um, and it's not a death sentence, as it was in the early stages uh, in the 80s and even when I tested positive in 1993. So there's, don't get over dramatic about it. It's serious, but um, life can go on. Secondly, take care of yourself. I'm, I've been living with this, uh, how many years is it, since 1993, um, almost uh, 20, 26 years, um, and I'm thriving. Uh, life can go on. It'll be different. And there'll be things that you have to really attend to. But uh, don't be discouraged. Um, There's a lot of support available for you. In Toronto, I'm Trevor Green.